Carl's message this morning is seeing and surviving the glory of God. And we'll read a chapter and a half, that is chapter 9 all the way to chapter 2, uh, sorry, chapter 10, verse 11. Leviticus chapter 9, the word of God, where it says, On the eighth day Moses summoned Aaron and his sons and the elders of Israel. He said to Aaron, Take a bull calf for your sin offering and a ram for your burnt offering, both without defect, and present them before the Lord. Then say to the Israelites, Take a male goat for a sin offering, a calf and a lamb, both a year old and without defect, for a burnt offering and an ox and a ram for a fellowship offering to sacrifice before the Lord together with a grain offering mixed with oil. For today the Lord will appear to you. They took the things Moses commanded to the front of the tent of meeting and the entire assembly came near and stood before the Lord. Then Moses said, This is what the Lord has commanded you to do so that the glory of the Lord may appear to you. Moses said to Aaron, Come to the altar and sacrifice your sin offering and your burnt offering and make atonement for yourself and the people. Sacrifice the offering that is for the people and make atonement for them as the Lord has commanded. So Aaron came to the altar and slaughtered the calf as a sin offering for himself. His sons brought the blood to him and he dipped his finger into the blood and put it on the horns of the altar. The rest of the blood he poured out at the base of the altar. On the altar he burnt the fat, the kidneys and the covering of the liver from the sin offering as the Lord commanded Moses. The flesh and the hide he burned up outside the camp. Then he slaughtered the burnt offering. His sons handed him the blood and he sprinkled it against the altar on all sides. They handed him the burnt offering piece by piece, including the head, and he burnt them on the altar. He washed the inner parts and the legs and burnt them on top of the burnt offering on the altar. Aaron then brought the offering that was for the people. He took the goat for the people's sin offering and slaughtered it and offered it for a sin offering, as he did with the first one. He brought the burnt offering and offered it in the prescribed way. He also brought the grain offering, took a handful of it and burnt it on the altar in addition to the morning's burnt offering. He slaughtered the ox and the ram as the fellowship offering for the people. His sons handed him the blood and he sprinkled it against the altar on all sides. But the fat portions of the ox and the ram, the fat tail, the layer of fat, the kidneys and the coverings of the liver, these they laid on the breasts. And then Aaron burnt the fat on the altar. Aaron waved the breast and the right thigh before the Lord as a wave offering, as Moses commanded. Then Aaron lifted his hands towards the people and blessed them. And having sacrificed the sin offering, the burnt offering and the fellowship offering, he stepped down. Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting. When they came out, they blessed the people. And the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. Fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat portions on the altar. And when all the people saw it, 
they shouted for joy and fell face down. Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, took their censers, put fire in them and added incense and they offered unauthorised fire before the Lord, contrary to his command. So fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them and they died before the Lord. Moses then said to Aaron, This is what the Lord spoke of when he said, Among those who approach me, I will show myself holy. In the sight of all the people, I will be honoured. Aaron remained silent. Moses summoned Mishael and Elsaphan, sons of Aaron's uncle Uziel, and said to them, Come here, carry your cousins outside the camp, away from the front of the sanctuary. So they came and carried them, still in their tunics, outside the camp as Moses ordered. Then Moses said to Aaron and his sons, Eliezer and Ithamar, do not let your hair become unkempt and do not tear your clothes or you will die and the Lord will be angry with the whole community. But your relatives in the house of Israel may mourn for those the Lord has destroyed by fire. Do not leave the entrance of the tent of meeting or you will die because the Lord's anointing oil is on you. So they did as Moses said. Then the Lord said to Aaron, You and your sons are not to drink wine or other fermented drink whenever you go into the tent of meeting or you will die. This is a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. You must distinguish between the holy and the common, between the unclean and the clean. And you must teach the Israelites all the decrees the Lord has given them through Moses. Thanks, Carl. Well, if you're uh, joining us for the uh, first time today, you've found us in the middle of a very strange part of the Old Testament. Uh, You found us in this book of Leviticus with all these strange rituals that people had to go through. Uh, And over the last six weeks, uh, those of us who have been here, we've, we've seen over and over again that Leviticus is the great picture book of the Old Testament. Uh, we've seen that ultimately it's a picture book about Jesus uh, and it's a picture book about how through Jesus uh, we can have a relationship with God, a workable relationship with God. We've seen uh, five sacrifices that God gave. Uh, we've seen uh, how all those sacrifices re- represented different dimensions Uh, of what it means to know and to love God. And last week uh, we saw the ordination of the priests and we saw what was required, if you like, to serve in the presence of God. And today we're going to continue on looking at the ministry of the priests. This uh, chapter that we just read follows hard on the heels of what we read last week about the ordination of the priests Uh, and those priests, they are ordained by God through this great ceremony and now having been ordained, having been set aside for their ministry, they begin their work for the first time. And this is how they begin. Look at verse 2. Moses says to Aaron, Take a bull calf from your sin offering and a ram for your burnt offering, both without defect, and present them before the Lord. Then say to the Israelites, Take a male goat for a sin offering, a calf and a lamb, 
both a year old and without defect for a burnt offering and an ox and a ram for a fellowship offering to sacrifice before the Lord together with a grain offering mixed with oil. For today the Lord will appear to you. That is, what's going on? What's going on is that the newly ordained high priest that we looked at last week uh, is to gather all the requirements to make the various sacrifices that we've looked at in the weeks before that and they are, the high priest is to, is to bring those sacrifices and to make those sacrifices in order that God will appear to the people. In other words, this chapter is the climax of everything in the book of Leviticus so far. And the purpose of this chapter is so that doing all those things, the people might see the glory of God. Uh, exactly what that means is explained a little bit more in verse 6 where it says, this is what the Lord has commanded you to do so that the glory of the Lord may appear to you. That is, through the priests offering these sacrifices, uh, the people are going to catch a glimpse of the glory of God. That is such uh, an astonishing proposition, isn't it? Uh, And yet it's so hard for us to really take a hold of that, to see the glory of God. Uh, Adam and Eve were the first two human beings Uh, created and they walked in the garden, in the world that God created. They walked with God and they knew God. But when Adam and Eve chose themselves over God, all that was ruined. They lost uh, the, the knowledge of God and they lost the opportunity to see God. From time to time then, from uh, from Adam and Eve to the time when Leviticus was written, uh, people here and there saw the glory of God at various times. Uh, in Exodus 24, uh, Moses and some of the elders, including Nadab and Abihu, those two guys from chapter 10, uh, these, these elders got to sit down and eat in the presence of God. It's, it's incredible to read and, and it's a good thing to go and do when you get home, Exodus 24, Uh, these people catch a glimpse of the glory of God uh, and they survive. In Exodus 33, Moses asks that he might see the glory of God Uh, and God says, well, I won't let you see my face but uh, I'll hide you in a cleft of a rock and I'll pass by and when I've passed by, I'll let you see my back and I'll let you see, if you like, the shadow of my glory. But here again, in Leviticus, God says to the people that he's going to show them a glimpse of his glory. Not just the leaders, not just Moses, but all the people are going to catch a glimpse of God's glory. This is a little bit of a nerdy confession to make, I suppose. Uh, But for years I've kind of been hanging out for the next coronation of a British monarch. I know that kind of implies that I'm waiting for Queen Elizabeth uh, to pass on. But, uh, but I, I just am excited about the idea of a, of a coronation. Uh, ever since I hold, heard about the, the gold coronation uh, carriage, which is, you know, five or six hundred years old or something like that, uh, and, and, you know, the crown jewels and all those uh, fancy bits that the British love to do uh, and have, I've sort of been hanging out. I, I, uh, I don't know if anyone knows the, the coronation anthems that uh, Handel wrote, for George II, uh, but ever since Handel wrote those back in the 1700s, they've been used uh, at every coronation and they're the most astonishing, majestic pieces of music and I just cannot wait for the day when they're played not just by an orchestra for no apparent reason but 
by an orchestra at the coronation of a king. I just think that will be a really magical and a really wonderful uh, and a really amazing thing. Uh, It's amazing, I think, well, it's amazing to me, because in it, I think, you catch a glimpse of uh, some amazing glory uh, and majesty at the coronation of a king. But whether it's that, whether it's a coronation ceremony or whether it's something else, I think all of us deep down want to sort of catch a glimpse of glory, don't we? Uh, We want to catch a glimpse of something glorious and something wonderful. Uh, I suspect that's why many of us like to watch war films, you know, like Saving Private Ryan or, uh, or Thin Red Line or, or any of those films. Uh, they're a way, I suppose, of reliving the glory, the glory of battle. People talk about the glory of battle, don't they? And about those, those battles where uh, a few soldiers defied the odds, you know, like the, the Battle of, of Agincourt that, uh, that Shakespeare wrote about. Once more unto the breach, dear friends, once more. You know, let, it, let us fill up the, whatever it is with our English dead. You know, it's a story which tries to recapture something of the glory of battle. We want to ca- catch a glimpse uh, of glory, I think. Uh, I suspect that's why many of us like to watch sport as well, uh, because we want to see a glimpse of glory. I'm, uh, I'm hanging out for the Eagles to win the Premiership this year. Uh, now, I think, I think that might have taken a hit yesterday. Uh, but, uh, but I'm still holding out. But the reason that I want to see the Eagles win the Premiership is not just because they're my team and, and, and I support them, but because I want to see a team go from wooden spooners to Premiers in one year. We, we love that, don't we? We love the fairy tale story, uh, the rags to riches, because in it we sort of catch a glimpse uh, of glory. I think deep down uh, we have a real hunger for glory, but the trouble is that we always look for it in the wrong places, don't we? Because even the glimpses that we see in, in queens and kings and soldiers uh, and in sports teams and, and in everything else, those things aren't enough. At the end of the day, they're not really all that satisfying. The glory fades. You see, we were made, God made us to enjoy a richer, more substantial glory. God made us to enjoy his glory uh, and to enjoy his presence. And the only glory that's ever going to satisfy that is the glory of God and the presence of God. Look at how these people reacted uh, in verse 9. Sorry, in the last chapter of verse 9. They shouted for joy, it says... Uh, and fell face down. They shouted for joy and fell face down. They were just overwhelmed by this glimpse of the glory of God. And that's what Leviticus 9 does more than anything else. It holds out this possibility of seeing the glory of God. And yet, uh, as good as that message is, the message of seeing finally the glory of God, This chapter really, these two chapters together are a picture of mixed blessing, aren't they? The people see this this glimpse of God's glory and yet it seems almost within minutes of that happening, Nadab and Abihu, the two sons of Aaron, these two priests, are consumed by the fury of God. You know, what's going on? What, What did these guys do wrong? At one level their mistake was to take are bowls with burning incense and to bring them before the Lord. That was their mistake. They filled bowls with burning incense and they brought them before the Lord. 
uh, and it, in 10 verse 1 it's described as unauthorised fire. That is, God had given strict commands about how people were to approach him and these guys, guys had just sort of flaunted that. They ignored it. Uh, Nadab and Abihu had decided to create their own ideas about how to worship uh, and to serve God and how to show their love for him. I remember when I was uh, still at school, uh, Mother's Day was coming up and I decided that what mum would really like, my poor mother, uh, what, that what she would really like was a deep fryer. Uh, and I managed to convince everyone in my family that what she really wanted was a deep fryer. And, uh, and my mum had said that she didn't want a deep fryer because I'd been on about it for years. I said, mum, you really want a deep fryer? No, I don't want a deep fryer. But I managed to convince everyone that that's what she wanted. And so that's what she got for Mother's Day that year. She got a deep fryer. Uh, I wanted a deep fryer. <laughs> and so that's what she got. But we do that all the time, don't we? We pretend to love other people when in reality what we're doing is loving ourselves. And we don't just do it to other people, we do it all the time to God. That's exactly what Nadab and Abihu did. God said, I don't want you to show love to me like that. And that's exactly what they did. They said, no, that's what I want to do, God. They said, basically, God, I love myself so much that I'm going to decide how best to love you. No, Nadab and Abihu tried to show God their love and in the end, God's fury burned them to death. It's a frightening thought, isn't it? And maybe it makes God sound uh, to us capricious and violent uh, and angry, but that's not the point. The point here is that our determination to do things our own way and to ignore God and to pretend that what we're doing is really what he wants, that nature, that heart condition, that makes the presence of God dangerous for us. God says to Aaron, among those who approach me, I will show myself holy. In the sight of all the people, I will be honoured. In fact, the danger uh, is so extreme that Moses also tells Aaron that he can't mourn by letting his hair get untidy and by tearing his clothes. It seems that that was the way that people mourned in those days. They did it by, by... you know, letting their hair go a bit wild and by tearing their clothes. And, uh, and God says to Aaron, you can't do that because in order to be in my presence as the priests are, you need to be perfect. That's the picture. Don't do it because otherwise you'll die. Imperfection in the presence of God is a dangerous thing. So what's going on? What's going on in these two chapters? If Leviticus 9 is is the climax of everything in the book of Leviticus so far, then then what's going on? Leviticus 10 seems like the biggest anticlimax. And I think that's exactly the point, actually. The point of Leviticus 9 and 10 together is this, that all those things that God was showing the people to do all those things 
were not enough. We've seen in Leviticus so far that in order to know God, to serve in the presence of God, there needed to be sacrifices for sins to deal with God's anger against people. But now the book of Leviticus is moving on a little bit and it's saying that if that's all that happens, that's not enough. Through chapter 9, all these sacrifices are made, forgiveness and atonement is made and then as soon as somebody steps out of line, bam! They're consumed by the fury of God. The truth is of Leviticus 10 that the presence of God is dangerous for imperfect people. This is the truth. None of us has ever seen the glory of God, the full glory of God. Why? Because we're imperfect. Jesus has has brought forgiveness for sins, hasn't he? But we remain imperfect people. And if we were to stand in the full glory of God as we are now, we would be consumed because God's glory demands absolute devotion to God. In a way, it's God's kindness that we're separated from his full glory at this moment. Isn't that interesting? It's in God's kindness that we can't see his full glory at the moment because if we did, we'd be consumed by it. No, the the glory of God is dangerous for imperfect people. In the light of that then, imagine the immense joy and the immense glory uh, and, and rejoicing, if you like, that people would have had when they first read these words at the beginning of John's Gospel. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. Or these words again. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. That is, in Jesus Christ, the Son of God coming to earth, not only do we catch a glimpse of glory, but God says the glory of God is making its home among us through Jesus. Listen to what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 4. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. I think that's got to be the best verse in the whole Bible. God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Here is the truth. Here is the absolute truth that the New Testament reveals to us. If you want to see the glory of God, look at Jesus. You don't need a priest in fancy robes. That didn't work. You don't need bulls and goats slaughtered and blood poured out and sprinkled on altars. You don't need that. We've seen over the last few weeks how all those things are fulfilled in Jesus, how Jesus fulfills the sacrifices, he fulfills the high priesthood. We don't need those pictures anymore because if we want to catch a glimpse of the glory of God, all we need to do is to fix our eyes on Jesus. Look at the cross. Look at Jesus' life. Read about it in the Gospels. Look, about, look at how God made promises in the Old Testament about Jesus and how they were fulfilled. 
Look, about, look at the things that, that through the Holy Spirit God made uh, people like Paul and Peter write about Jesus in the New Testament. Fix your eyes on Jesus. And if you do that, here is God's promise. If you fix your eyes on Jesus, you will catch a glimpse of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. If you ask God, if you look at Jesus and you ask God, he who made light shine out of darkness will enable you in your darkness to see the amazing glory of God. But Jesus uh, coming to earth as a man to reveal God's glory is only half the picture and, and in a way it's not really the focus of Leviticus 9 and 10. See, Leviticus 9 and 10 wants to go uh, a little bit further beyond that to the whole reason that Jesus came as a man uh, uh, on earth. And, and Leviticus wants to deal with the fundamental issue which is at stake and that is that the sinfulness of people like you and me keeps us from the full glory of God. Like all parts of Leviticus uh, that we've been through, Leviticus 9 and 10 not only gives us the problem, it foreshadows the answer. And the answer to this problem of our sinfulness uh, is found in verse 10 and in the task that God gives to the priests. Moses says, you, that is the priests, must distinguish between the holy and the common, between the clean and the unclean, and you must teach the Israelites all the decrees the Lord has given them through Moses. That is, what the people needed was not only a priest who could make sacrifices uh, to take away the, God's fury against their sin, but they needed a priest who knew what pleases God. Uh, they needed a priest who knew themselves what, needed, uh, what pleased God and who was able to teach that to them. They needed someone who could, who could teach them what God does and doesn't like and what God loves and what God hates. A, preach, a priest who could teach them how God wanted them to live. And you and I need exactly the same thing, don't we? We've seen over the last few weeks that Jesus is that high priest who can stand before God to, to offer sacrifices, to offer himself as a sacrifice for our sins. But we need more than that from Jesus. We need not only a, a, a priest who makes sacrifices, we not, need not only a sacrifice, but we need a teacher. We need someone who knows exactly what God delights in. And Jesus is the only one, the only man who knows exactly what God delights in. We need a priest more than that who can not only know that but who can teach that to us. And no Old Testament priest was ever able to do that. Here's what uh, Hebrews 7 says about the Old Testament priests. If perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, why was there still a need for another priest to come? And the answer it gives is this. The former regulation is set aside because it was weak and useless for the Lord made nothing perfect. And a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. The problem in the Old Testament was that the priests were wicked. Like you and me, they were wicked. And even when they weren't, they weren't able to teach people in such a way that it changed them. Ask any parent how easy it is to teach a child in a way that they're changed. You know, you can, you can 
tell kids off all the time if you want, can't you? But how easy is it to change someone's heart? No, we need a priest who can write God's law in our hearts and that's exactly what Jesus does through the Holy Spirit. In John 6.45, Jesus says that these words were fulfilled in him. They will be taught by God. Isn't that extraordinary uh, thing to say? They will be taught by God. That is the fulfilment of the Old Testament prophecies that people who believe in Jesus will be taught by God. Not by another priest, not by a human priest, not by me preaching a sermon, but taught by the maker of heaven and earth. Paul expresses the same sentiment in Galatians 2 in an amazing way. He says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Who is it who directs Paul's life? It was Jesus Christ. Here is the truth of Leviticus 9 and 10. If you look at Jesus and if you trust in him, not only will you see on this side of death a glimpse of the glory of God, but if you fix your eyes on Jesus and trust in him, he will prepare you to meet God face to face. He will teach you everything that God desires. You won't get there in this life. The Bible tells us that. But when Jesus comes to judge the living and the dead, that work of teaching people everything that God desires will be finally complete. People will be made perfect forever. And those who believe in Jesus will see the glory of God for eternity. I don't know uh, if seeing God face to face is uh, particularly exciting or or attractive to you. Uh, You might not really care much about that. I don't know. Uh, But the truth is, whether we like it or not, every one of us one day is going to see the presence of God. And those who believe in Jesus will be made safe by Jesus and those who don't will be consumed by the fury and the wrath of God. And not just for a day uh, and not just for a short time but for all eternity. That's the warning, I suppose, of Leviticus 9 and 10. There's a safe way Uh, to meet God and that's through Jesus. And so if you don't trust uh, in Jesus, then please repent and please put your trust in him uh, because otherwise you'll spend an eternity uh, experiencing the fury of God. And if you do trust in Jesus uh, and if you do fix your eyes on him, then pray that every day God would give you a greater glimpse uh, of the glory of God. Don't wait for eternity to see God's glory, but pray that God, even today, would give you a glimpse of his glory and pray that every day, more and more, Jesus would teach you all that God delights in. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, please show us your glory. Lord, open our eyes and pour the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ into our hearts. 
The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Father, we pray that you would help us to see it and to savour it and to love it and to enjoy it. Father, we pray that we wouldn't put our hope of glory in our sportsmen and, and soldiers and kings and queens and whatever else it might be, but that we would long for your glory, the glory which we were made to enjoy. Father, thank you that in Jesus uh, we can see that even now in this life and we can see it safely and we pray that through him that you would teach every one of us what you desire. Father, please forgive us for the sins which uh, mar our lives but please also transform us day by day through your Holy Spirit through the spirit of the risen Christ so that more and more you might take delight in us. Father, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.